0: Thank you for listening to Sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you again in chapel here this uh, Sunday after Easter. Wow, God bless you for for being here. Somebody said uh, last week, we just praised the Lord for a wonderful Easter service last week. we had 336 people, that's that's not me jumping the numbers, that's actual counting of human beings that were at our Easter service last week, and I, we all said, praise the Lord, and, and somebody said, well, they must have heard you were preaching the Easter message, and I thought to myself, wait till the following Sunday, and you could also say, well, maybe they heard Brazel was preaching two times in a row and didn't come back, but I tell you what, this is a great looking crowd, and, and I'll take it, this is awesome. If I had to guess, I read some statistics, by the way, that historically in most churches, the Sunday after Easter is their least attended service. This is in civilian churches. It's their least attended service of the year. One person said it this way. Typically on the Sunday after Easter, you have more pilgrims and fewer tourists. Is how he put it. I'm going to make an assumption that. We're gathered as a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ today who are certainly pilgrims on this journey of following the Lord. I'm so thankful that you're here today. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I ask that you turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, as we look at this subject, even if one rises from the dead. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. We've been announcing for a couple of weeks now that we are going to change gears in our sermon series. We did our connecting with the Savior through the, through the gospel of John as we went through the I am statements. Last Sunday we had a wonderful service together celebrating Easter. Today we're going to change gears. We're going to call our next series Connection with the Center." We're going to be heading next week into the book of Jonah, and we'll stay in the book of Jonah for several weeks. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16 as we start thinking about connection with the sinner. I have an index card, just like Brother Kenneth mentioned earlier. I have one in my pocket as well. And at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to do something with that index card. What I want you to be thinking about right now, coming off of the heels of Easter and the resurrection of Christ... In introducing this theme of connection with a sinner, what we mean by that is every single person that you meet, every single person that I meet, is a sinner in need of a Savior. What we hope and pray happens over the next several weeks is, is our hearts are set aflame for caring about people who are lost without Christ. I hope and pray that we have opportunities to pray for the lost, and we're going to do that today. That's how we're going to close our service also have opportunities i pray that we have opportunities to share with the lost lord willing in the next several weeks i'd like to see that we have a baptism for folks who make a profession of faith in the lord jesus christ that's where we're going as you uh get ready to respond as we always should to what god's teaching us in 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 messages when when god's word is preached i encourage you to think now in your mind Who are some of those lost people that you know in your life? It might be people you work with. It might be loved ones that you are are praying, Oh, God, I pray that you would save them. I encourage you at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to write those names on an index card. I've written several on my my index card. These are people that are are near and dear to my heart. I love, but I know they're not saved. I know they've they've never trusted Jesus as their Savior. We're going to pray for them at the end of the service. You may have been handed an index card when you came in. If not, that's okay. They're sort of at the end of the pews. Feel free just to do what you got to do to grab one. And we did our best to interdisperse some pins around. You might need to help each other out as you as you do that. As we look at this subject, even if one rises from the dead, connection with the sinner. And in just a minute, we'll look at Luke 16, verses 19 to the end of the. Well, close. Well,. Yeah, almost the end of the of the ch- it is the end of the chapter there. We're going to be talking about a subject that you don't hear a lot about, and that is the biblical doctrine of hell. As we look at the story, the rich man and Lazarus next week, we'll be in Jonah. And that reminds me of a story about a little boy who was arguing with his teacher about the book of Jonah. And he was in school and. And he was a little boy who maybe like some of y'all and some of your children, you're raising them in the Lord and you're raising them in the scriptures and you want them to learn the Bible, right? And you believe the Bible's true. And this this little boy was one of those little boys. He believed the Bible was true. And he was in a he was in a school where he had a, a school teacher who who didn't believe the Bible. And he got into an argument in class with his teacher about Jonah getting swallowed by a fish. And that little boy kept going back and forth with his teacher. He said, he said, no, I learned in Sunday school. My parents told me that my, the Bible tells me Jonah got swallowed by a fish. I think Jonah got swallowed by a fish. And the teacher said, oh, Johnny, you can't you can't possibly know that. That's a fake story. There's, there's no way you could prove that. There's no way. So they were going back and forth. And you know what the little boy told her? He said, well, I tell you what, when I die and go to heaven, I'll ask Jonah if he got swallowed by a fish. So then the teacher thought she had one up on the little boy. He said, she said, well, What happens if Jonah ended up in hell? And the little boy said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) We're going to look in this passage at two main characters who are worlds apart from each other in everything except geography. They're in the same location. The rich man who is nameless and then Lazarus. Well, let's read it together, beginning in verse 19 in Luke 16. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And watch this, verse 26. Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And then he said, That's the rich man. Then I beg you, Father, to send them to my Father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament, the Bible. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, watch this. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Amen even if somebody rises from the dead. Two men who I said already are worlds apart, except for in geography. It is a picture of extremes. The rich man, what stands out is what he wore and what he ate. That's two specific things it says, right? He wore royalty, luxury, had enough food to sustain things. I want you to understand in the first century, most of us in this room would be considered very rich for the simple fact that you're going to go somewhere tonight and you're going to sleep and you pretty much can eat all day long and not be hungry. In that world, there was very much diametrically. Op- you were either very, very rich and you had a lot or you were very, very poor. And then in the example that Jesus gives, you have Lazarus, who is extremely poor, who is also sick, apparently. He, maybe he was already close to death. We don't know. He's covered in sores, and, and it says there that he was—the he was, word there is, is almost as if he was laid at the gate. It's almost like somebody had to physically carry Lazarus, like just kind of throw him out there to the gate. It would be the equivalent of a beggar just sort of being in the wrong place. Let's just shuffle him over here, and they put him in front of this rich man's house. The dogs talked about in the New Testament are not dogs like you and I have. If you come to my house, you'll see this little dog, and, and she'll lick you to death. It's not those kind of dogs. They weren't dogs that were pets. If you've ever been in a part of, a, of, of the world where dogs are just sort of rampant, a lot of you have, all over the world. Where uh, I remember when I was a child, Bob Barker on The Price is Right would say, Have your pet spayed or neutered. That doesn't happen everywhere, so there's, there's, there's countries with just millions of dogs It was that way in the first century, and dogs were not seen as a glamorous thing. This is to show the lowly state of Lazarus. Uh, Even these wild animals just came and and licked his sores. He didn't even have it as good as they had it. Lazarus longed to eat what came from the rich man's table. Some people say perhaps that was the food that the rich man ate, but then it uses the word crumbs. Again, if you were very rich, you were so rich that you used bread to wipe your hands. That dry bread would wipe all the the goop off your hands. That's the epitome of luxury in the first century. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he was talking to people who literally just long to be happy and fulfilled enough to have enough bread to feed their family. That's what it's trying to show you is how diametrically opposed these two people are. We could talk about a lot of things in this story of the rich man and Lazarus. We could talk about the importance of of Christians like giving giving of what God has blessed us with. We could talk about taking care of the poor. But I'm really going to dial in on this idea of hell and the difference in the destinations of of the rich man and that of Lazarus. I I did some studying a few years ago on the on the doctrine of hell, and I was wondering, well, what is the What percentage of people still believe in hell and all that? And I saw some statistics from about 15 years ago. And you know what? It hit me. I'm not even going to bother to look up what the statistics are about what the public believes about heaven or hell. You want to know why I'm I'm not even going to bother to look that up? Because it doesn't really matter. That would be like, let's take public poll. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Does it change the fact that he's alive? No. So if you want to go look and see where people are on heaven and hell, I intentionally didn't look it up. The Bible teaches some things about hell that we need to know. One of my one of the chaplains on our teams reminded me as we were having our preaching team meeting talking about this. He said, don't forget, hell's best kept secret is that it does not exist. It's interesting that today we do have a we do live in a world where we don't want to think about that. And I will tell you this. I can't help but think that one of the things that COVID-19 has done is force people to think about their own mortality. I think I think that's true. I think most people live their lives not thinking about their own mortality. But I can't help but think that one of the things that caused so much energy about COVID-19 is it reminds all of us, like all things that come that are unexpected. It happened back in 9-11. When when the towers were hit, I think it happens with things like COVID-19. It, it forces people to think about the fact of like at the end of the day, the death rate is still 100 percent. You and I are all going to die and face judgment. It matters not when that takes place. It is going to take place. And somehow we shy away from this doctrine of hell or this doctrine of punishment or this doctrine of of punish, of, of God judging. It's almost like we're trying to to get God off the hook or something. Hell, in some ways, it's an embarrassment to those who want Christianity to fit sort of the modern agenda of of broad-minded tolerance. The doctrine of hell is an inconvenience to those who want the biblical message to always sound cheerful to the unchurched people. We can't in good conscience look at the doctrine of hell with, with cheer in my heart. I certainly cannot. The doctrine of hell or judgment, it's an irritant to those who want a religion that makes people always feel good about themselves. I want people to have a great life. In some ways, I suppose I want them to have their best life. But I hope and pray our main concern is that their eternal life is secure and there's a place called hell. Hell is an offense to those who care little about righteousness and don't really fear God, but want to maintain some sort of I don't know some sort of piety. Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. I'm going to give you three major points today. The first is this: we're going to see several truths regarding hell. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you several subpoints in these points. If you want these uh, notes, you can email me or just reach out to me, and I'll be glad to I'll be glad to give it give it to you. Number one. Truths regarding hell. We're going to see some of these truths in this passage, but I'm also going to show you a couple other passages in the Bible that teach us truths about hell. Number one, it is eternal. It is forever. It is an infinite punishment for sin. Why? Because our sin is a sin against an infinitely holy God. Look at verse 26 in Luke 16. I encourage you to keep your your Bible's open, and I'll refer to several things here. He says, besides all this, there's a great chasm. Those who would pass from here may not be able. None may be able to cross there from us. It is the point of no return. There's nowhere else to go once you come to this place. You don't have to turn there, but I'll give you another verse. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says, Jesus says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. The eternal fire. Matthew 25, 46 says those condemned will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Folks, it's eternal. We live in a world where people want to say there's all kinds of ways to just do you, you do you, you do you. God says, no, you honor me. And that every person has sinned against me and that everyone whose sins are not forgiven are going to this place. Called hell forever. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. I think I give you some of these references on the screen. If you want to take pictures of it or write them down. In Revelation 20 it says. The devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur. Where the beast and the false prophet were. Where they will be tormented. Look at this. Day and night. Forever. It's eternal. You might say. Well that, that's harsh. Well. Sin is serious. Because. It's an infinite holy God that we've sinned against. There's an infinite punishment that goes with that. Number two, it's a place of pain. It's a place of pain. Go back to Luke 16 and look at verse 28. He says he doesn't want his brothers to do what? I don't want them to come to this place of torment. He uses the word torment twice. It's a place of pain. In verse 24 in Luke 16, he talks about, oh, I just wish I could get. a a drop of water. It's a place of, of thirst. You don't have to turn there, but I'll give it to you again in Matthew 25. Cast the worthless servant to outer darkness where men will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of pain. Number three, it's a place of torment, pain. Number three, it's a place of fear. I want you to turn a passage with me since it's really close go back to Luke chapter 12 I want to show you something in Luke chapter 12 verses 4 and 5 in Luke chapter 12 verse 4 Jesus again speaking I tell you my friends do not fear those who kill the body and after that there's nothing more they can do but I will warn you whom to fear Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What a statement on this idea of fear. Hell is going to be a place of fear. Number four, it's a place of sadness. It's a place of sadness. This is not scripture, but a lot of the ideas that that, are, that have become popular over the years about hell came from a man who lived in I think 300 or 400 A.D. Dante. He wrote a book uh, on he had he had a book about it Divine Comedy. It, it came back to me, the Divine Comedy, and it has a section on a uh, hell. It has a section that he calls purgatory, and then it has a section on heaven and, and he, he 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 pictures in that book he says across the door of heaven it has the phrase abandon all hope all ye who enter here this is a place of sadness in the scriptures particularly in the passage that we just looked at what does the rich man say he, he has this overwhelming sense of sadness and dread because he realizes oh my brothers, my brothers, I don't want them to come here. This is a place of sadness. And then number five, it's a place of isolation. We've already read this passage in Luke 16, but what is Abraham in the story? What does he call this place? He says there's a great chasm. There's a great chasm. I remember one time as a, as a pastor, sometimes you get called on to do all these funerals. It's a, Again, anytime humans are faced with, with death, I think it, it, it forces them to think about their own mortality. I think we're all that way. And people who didn't live for the Lord their whole life, they want a preacher at their funeral. So they'll get one. You know, we're glad to do it. We're going to support people in their time of grieving. But I remember a, a funeral one time where uh, as the body came in, they, they played the song Highway to Hell, which, you know, ha- has some cool guitar riffs. I must admit, but it's, it's not good theology. And at the end of the day, it was sort of this mentality of, well, I'm going to go to hell. That's where all my friends are going to be. Well, guess what? According to the scripture, that's not how it's going to work. When I see this rich man, I see a man who's isolated. I see a man who, who, who he can't get back to the brothers. He can't get he can't get to, to he can't get to Lazarus because he's in heaven and he doesn't seem to have anything in his life but his own loneliness and his own torment. Those are some biblical truths about hell. I think they're important for you and me to understand as we get ready to pray for lost people. Because today, hell, folks, has been air conditioned. I like air conditioning. I'm from South Carolina in the summertime. Thank the Lord I get air conditioned. I don't so much mean that literally, but we have have danced around the concept of eternal punishment for sin as Christians far too long. If you and I are going to get serious about connecting with the sinner, we have to understand there's a great need. Because every single person is in desperate need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, to, be it, to escape from this awful place called hell. That's the truth about hell. Number two, I want to show you, interestingly enough, maybe I should put this in quotation marks. There's some, quote, good things in hell. There's some good things in hell. Number one, there's going to be some quotation marks. Good people in hell. There'll be some, quote, good people in hell. I ran across a story about a girl who was telling her dad about her grade in school, and, and she was prepping because she didn't make a good grade. And, and she said, Dad, I just want to—it was, it was Paul Tripp who told this story, if you know that preacher. He, this was his, his child. said—so uh, it wasn't my child, so I'm not picking on my own kids or anything, so we will make sure you all know. It's somebody else's story. He, he, the, the, the daughter said, Dad, I just, I just want to tell you I made a D in English. And he was like, good night, the language you speak. You made a D in English. Okay, what what happened? And she says, but I want you to know it was the highest D in the whole class. And furthermore, I want you to know that the teacher is brand new. And me and the kids were talking. It's really his fault because he's basically learning how to teach on us. We're his guinea pigs. It's, it's It's all his fault. And I want you to know that I wasn't the worst. Can I tell you a secret? That's probably not a secret. You already know it. If your goal in life is to feel good about yourself, it's not that hard to go find somebody out there who is worse than you, who is a sorrier sinner than you. If you have any doubt, come to my house and you'll see all the shenanigans that I pull sometimes. Like, good night. I'm glad I'm not like that, chaplain. But seriously, you can always find somebody who's worse than you. But the Bible says in Romans chapter three, that there is none righteous, no, not one, will never understand the serious need of salvation as long as we're still thinking of our lives as a set of scales that goes, as long as I do more good than I do bad, I'm okay. Or as long as I'm better than somebody out there, I'm okay. The Bible teaches in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The question's not so much, am I good? Because the Bible says, in the grand scheme of things, I am not. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. The question is, are my sins forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ? But I can imagine there's some, quote, good people that'll be in heaven. I imagine this rich man, you know, we only have one little snippet of his life, but he probably did something good. Maybe he threw some crumbs Lazarus away at some time. Maybe he was nice to somebody. But I'm telling you, there's, quote, good people in heaven. I mean, in hell. But I want you to understand we must have our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. Number two, there's good vision in hell. The reason I point that out is go back to go back to our story in Luke 16, verse 23. We're back to our original passage now. Verse 23. What does the rich man do in Hades while he's a torment? He lifts his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. I think that this passage is teaching us that the light bulb is going to go off, so to speak, then there's going to come a time when there's the vision is going to be clear. There's going to be people who've rejected Jesus Christ. There's going to be people who's sat through gospel presentations. There's going to be people who loved ones have shared with and they're going to say no. They're going to say no. They're going to say no. But I think when we see this rich man. We see somebody who has clear vision. In another place, Jesus said it'll be like the days of Noah, like the flood. And he says there's going to come a day when, it's, that when the Son of Man comes. He says it's going to be like the days of Noah. Nobody understood, but that water came. And then they went, oh, I wonder if this is what Noah was talking about. I guarantee you once that water got to about here, oh, yeah. Maybe that crazy old man did know what he was talking about. There's good vision in hell. Number three. Or, yeah yeah number three yeah number three there's good prayers in hell there's a few this guy this rich man at least understood that he that he needed mercy although it was too late please let Lazarus come and dip the water he prays oh please go go talk to my brothers God says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved in the Bible, but it also says it was appointed a man wants to die, and after this, judgment. There's going to come a point when those things are too late. We haven't talked about the good news a whole lot in this message, but the good news is as long as there's breath in people's lungs, it's not too late. That's why we're going to be so serious about connected with the sinner. But there's good prayer sometimes. The next one there's good memory in hell. There's good memory in hell. Look at what Abraham says to him in Luke chapter 16, verse 25. Abraham tells the rich man, remember in your lifetime, what? You received your good things. You had all these things. You feasted sumptuously. You had scraps on the table that poor people just wish they could eat. And Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted and you're tormented. I think throughout the scriptures, when you read about this eternal place called hell, This eternal torment. I think there's going to be eternal consciousness. Eternal memory. Eternal awareness. I can't help but think there'll be people in hell. Thinking about sitting through an Easter message. And feeling something in their heart saying come to me. I can't help but think there'll be loved ones. That maybe some... Godly person said, please trust Christ as your savior. And they keep saying no and they keep saying no. I can't help but think that there's people in hell who said my my scales balance out. I've done enough. Good. I've done enough. I've done enough. Well, did I ever trust Christ alone for my salvation? No, but I, I, I was such a good person. I think there's going to be good memory of those things in hell. Here's another good thing in hell. Number five, good theology. There's some good theology here. He realizes that God exists. The Bible says in another place, you don't have to turn there, but Philippians chapter 2 says that one day at the name of Jesus, it says God given Jesus the name above every name, and in Philippians 2 it says that every knee will bow. There's no qualifier there. Every knee will bow, whether in earth or on the earth or in heaven or under heaven. Paul's way of including la dotty everybody He is saying that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That tells me that in this place called hell, like the rich man, there will be a clear understanding that Jesus is Lord. James chapter 2, verse 19. You don't have to turn there, but James said this about people who believe in God. He said, you believe there's one God? That's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. There's good theology in hell. Number six, in some ways in this story, you you see a couple of good priorities in hell. It's just too late. In our story in Luke 16, the rich man in verse 27 says, I beg you, Father Abraham, send, send him to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may come testify to them all of a sudden sharing the message of the gospel became important while he was in hell all of a sudden the eternal destiny of the people that he loved became very important while he was in hell what's our priorities as we think about the people that we may write on our index card to pray for let's have good priorities now let's don't wait till it's too late there's good priorities in hell And then the last one, number seven, there's good intentions in hell. There's good intentions, but it's too late. You've heard the famous phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says, we've talked about some truths about hell. We've talked about some quotes good things in hell. I want to give you one more point and that is this. Number three, the escape from hell. The escape from hell. Remember the rich man, he pays attention to Lazarus, too late. He sees the unbridgeable chasm, too late. He worries about his brothers, too late. And he wants to get serious about God's word, but too late. Go back and look at the last verses in this chapter. Verses 29 and 30. Remember what he said. Send somebody back to my brothers. Abraham says in verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What he's saying is that the the Bible, the Old Testament, which is what they had at the time, already speaks of fleeing from the wrath to come. It already speaks of of hope in the Lord and all those wonderful things. But then he says, In verse 30, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. In other words, the rich man says, oh, no, if this miracle happens and, and Lazarus somehow miraculously goes back, sort of like you ever seen these books where somebody dies and, and they came back and I, I don't know. But, you know, what I'm talking about there'll be somebody who tells a story. They were dead and they were dead for 10 minutes and, and all those kind of things. That's kind of what the rich man, I think, is getting at. Lazarus, oh, if Lazarus comes back from the dead, he'll it'll, it'll make a difference. And what does Abraham say? He said to him if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't heed God's word as it is neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And I cannot help but think that the the end of this story has the resurrection of Jesus Christ in mind. Because we're in the middle of Luke chapter 16 here in the Gospels. Luke, like all the Gospels, is heading to the To the to the resurrection. Jesus is saying, you know what? There's going to be some people, even with a resurrection from the dead, they are still not going to believe. I want you to flip back to Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to show you one more passage. Luke chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 29, because this gives us Jesus uses the example of Jonah to teach this very thing. In Luke chapter 11, verse 29, it says this. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. Watch this. Here's the law and the prophets. It asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at judgment. I think he's talking about the Queen of Sheba from the Old Testament will rise at judgment with the people from this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying that in the Old Testament, Gentiles came from all over the place to hear God's truth. Jesus is saying right here before you is the day when God is now calling all people to himself. And spoiler alert, which you probably already know the story, Jonah gets swallowed by a fish and three days later, he is spat back up. That is the connection that Jesus is making in his teaching here. And in verse 32, it says the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and con- condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is teaching us that there is escape from hell. But there will be people who, even though someone has risen from the dead, they still will not. Believe. Now what a somber, very sad message that is in Scripture. Why do we start connecting with the sinner like that? Because our team wanted us to delve into God's word today, and hopefully in our in our very pits of our soul, to Grasp in some shape form or fashion the reality of a place called hell and the reality that All around us are sinners in desperate need of a savior The way we're going to end our worship time today is this brother greg's going to come up and he's going to play some music for us What we're going to do is spend some time praying for lost people Let me say this if you're here and you've heard this message And you say, well, chaplain, I'm one of those lost people. If I died right now, I would go to that place you're talking about. I encourage you to reach out to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ died on the cross and three days later rose again for your salvation and for mine. The Bible says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting Life. I encourage you to trust Christ as your Savior for those of us who here who are Christians and I we couldn't help but think the Sunday after Easter there'll be a lot of Christians here not tourists but pilgrims who are seeking to serve God and seeking to lead their families in the Lord I encourage you to take some time this morning I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes pray for lost people that you know that you don't want to see go to hell pray for them by name Take some time to write those names down. What we're going to do is we're going to ask you to come. I placed a basket right here in the front. I'm holding it in my hand right now. This is going to be a a basket of index cards for the chaplains only. All we want to do is join you in praying for lost people. I have about eight people on my list that's going to go ahead and go in this basket. As we have this time of prayer, you don't have to stand. You can remain seated. If you want to come up here and pray here near the altar, you can. Or you can simply come and place your names in the basket. If you want to put first and last initials, that's fine. If you just want to write first name or if you want to write my cousin or my brother, you whatever you know, because here's the beauty of it, God knows all these people. At this time, I just bow your head, close your eyes. If you feel led and you want the chaplains to help pray for these folks, you just come up right now. And put your, put your index card in here, and then we'll close with a time of prayer for all the people we're praying for who are lost. I invite you to do that right now.